welcome to episode 17 of Where's My Sports At? Your weekly dose of sports analysis made for the fans by the fans. Mixed with a healthy dose of beer, bullshit and banter. On today's pod, we're lucky to be joined by talented South African cricketer, Colby Dyer. Colby talks about his journey from backyard cricket with his older brother at the family home in Johannesburg to receiving a scholarship to study at and play cricket for the prestigious Hilton College. Colby's story then takes us to county cricket in England, where he played in the second team for Surrey, and finally, his time here in Perth, Western Australia. Hey Colby, mate, thanks very much for coming along and having a chat with Jimmy and myself today. Thank you very much for having me, of course. I oh, really appreciate it. I'm going to throw it over to my man, Jimmy, as this poor bugger's been waiting all afternoon for the opportunity to ask you some of these questions. Sure, so Colby, how did you start out in cricket? How did I start out? I actually, I've got an older brother who um, doesn't play cricket anymore. He's uh, working full-time at, at Amazon back home, but uh, yeah, he's only 16 months older than me, so there was pretty much competition for everything we did as a as a, as two youngsters but I suppose cricket growing up in South Africa certainly back then it was just one of the massive sports that everyone sort of looked up to you looked up to you guys like Boucher, Callis, De Villiers sort of all Gary Kirsten all those kinds of players so it was just a massive sport growing up and uh, yeah we we're, were both always very competitive so any ball sport we could kind of get our hands on we uh, had a go at and would certainly try to take each other on. Who was the better and who was the bowler between you and you? There's always one. So my brother will kill me for saying this, but uh, he was, uh, he struggled to, he didn't like doing something for too long. He'd, he'd, uh, he'd go for something, whether it be cricket, he'd go for cricket for a couple of months and then he'd get bored of it and he'd sort of move on to the next thing. So uh, we used to, we used to take turns. He was actually a, a decent cricketer himself, but he just got over it. I'd say uh, he was probably more of the bowler when we were younger in the, in the back garden. Growing up in your household, who did you guys support? Was it England or was it the South African team? Oh, no, South Africa. It was, I didn't know that I even had sort of any relation to England till I was probably about eight years old. So, um, yeah, obviously my dad was born there, but he moved to South Africa when he was, I think, only a couple of months old and then lived there for 45 years. So, yeah, <laughs> it was uh, South Africa and, and nothing else pretty much growing up. Uh, that's all I ever all I've ever known supporting them. So at home with your home cricket ground, because we've all got our home ground and you'll always remember it well as the backyard. Did you and your brother uh, mow, mow the pitches at home and prepare the ground? We actually... When you're pretending the backyard? We didn't, um, mostly because mom didn't want to let us get our hands on anything that was too sharp or we might be able to sort of cut toes or fingers off. So that wasn't it, but... Um, we had a, a pretty big driveway or in the garage and then we actually later moved to a house where we had a, quite a nice sort of wooden deck and uh, we'd wet the ball a bit and uh, you could always gather up a, a bit of steam and a bit of pace on the wooden deck. So we'd have some friends over and do that. Pool cricket, funny enough, actually is a big thing in South Africa. You get a, it's, a, it's called a waboba ball, I think, and it like skids, skims across the water and you'd line the stumps up on the other side and your friends will be thrown as fast as they can, trying to hit you on the body, and uh, you're just trying to bat. So, yeah, loads of loads of fun games we played as youngsters. I haven't heard of this in New Zealand. Mm. We we don't do these sorts of things in New Zealand, so it's obviously something that you guys are using to give you an advantage. Oh, I don't know. Work hard, play hard. <laughs> Work hard, play hard. I, I, th- I think that's about it. Look, I think every 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 nation or every team uh, sort of has their own ethos that they sort of follow um I, I wouldn't say there's sort of one thing that south africans follow in terms of cricket but uh yeah 
a big part of cricket or sport in South Africa is sort of everything's a bit bigger than yourself. You, you're playing for the, the guy next to you. Um, and when I was at school, it was you're playing for the boy in the stands and the guys that support you and things like that. So it's always trying to make it sort of not about the individual, but about the team. So for you there, Colby, when did hardball cricket start? Do you, do you guys start with a PVC ball early on as well? Or we didn't. Uh, playing organised cricket? We didn't. It was, I remember the first time I sort of, it was always like tennis ball before you got to school. Um, and as soon as I got to school, it was just hardball straight away. We didn't do any of the uh, PVC or incredible as they call them in England now. Uh it was just a hardball straight away, sometimes without pads on, sometimes with pads on, and uh, that was it. Just, yeah, fielding, catching, everything with a hardball from from a young age. Far out. That's uh, that's hardcore because um, in New Zealand, we, we start we start with Kiwi cricket. Oh, right, okay. You see, so we're, we're playing with a PVC ball and plastic yes. wickets and plastic bats, and you hear the dunk. Yeah, right. And that was pretty cool. And then you move into the incredible where you're facing bouncers age eight um, from kids who are just bowling normally and drop it in. So interesting you go straight to the straight hardball, to hardball, but I do I understand think it. it. It may have changed yeah. slightly now. I don't know if I'm being totally honest, but uh, certainly when I started, there was uh, we had no idea what an incredible was. It was just hardball from the get-go. So when you moved into high school, so what sort of school did you did you start with cricket there and how does the rep scene work with, with that in South Africa? So I went, I obviously am from Johannesburg and for high school I um, I went to boarding school. So I went to boarding school down in KwaZulu-Natal um, to a school called Hilton College and uh, I moved there for cricket. Thankfully I was uh, awarded a cricket scholarship so I moved down there. It was a full boarding school, so 550 boys, seven boarding houses, and everyone is on campus at all times. And uh, that creates an amazing culture sort of in all sports and all cricket because you've got all the boys in your grade, the guys above you who are on campus all the time, and it's like having a friend with you all the time to go train whenever you can because I suppose the campus and the cricket fields, the cricket nets, that that is your home really. So um Oh uh, yeah, I went there. We had fortunate enough to have access to some some great coaching. Um, certainly when I started, and then later on, um, the likes of Dale Benkenstein, who captain Durham, played for South Africa. Uh, Tim Krunewald did many years at Somerset and Kent. Uh, so yeah, had some fantastic coaches out there, and um, unbelievable experience in competition. That sounds unreal. Like me thinking back, I'm being a teenager. That sounds like the absolute. Oh, it was. Of being able to it do was. That. It was the uh, best, so best cool. five years of my life, I think, at Hilton College. If I uh, if someone told me I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't be too upset. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you must have made some mates for life there, Colby, over the years. Oh, a- absolutely. Uh, from all of uh, all of my uh, best friends still from school because you, uh, you go through a lot together. You spend five years sort of week in, week out um, with each other all the time. So, yeah, got uh, some fantastic fantastic friends that i keep in contact with even this morning i was talking to a few so yeah and uh fortunately enough when um i got there the school was kind of on the up with cricket so we've had some sort of big players come through in the last couple of years most recently in recognizable lungi and gidi um who's obviously opening the bowling at this time for south africa 
Another one by the name of John Turner, who was recently selected in the England T20 squad. Matthew Boast, just picked up in the uh, SA20 back home in South Africa. So, yeah, some some fantastic cricketers. And actually, Michael Sklanders as well, who's, uh, I think he's he's in New Zealand. I think he's playing for the Auckland Aces. Yeah, he is. He is. Jeez, uh, that's, um, that's pretty awesome. And when you're playing those schools or when you're going in and you're playing like, are you playing in the men's competition during the weekend or were you playing in the high school competition or like how, how did that go so, for you? Funny enough, I was actually talking about this the other day, but one of the massive differences between South Africa and Australia, New Zealand and, and England as well is there's no there's no sort of uh, filtering through into the men's game whereas there's no real club system that people get involved in like there is here. It's not a big thing at all. So all the cricket that we would do is just our school cricket. In truth, though, the South African school sport and, and school cricket is exceptional, exceptionally strong. It sort of sounds like the American system where it's all through schools and then it goes sort of almost like professional. So your system is at schools and then provincial. So you have provincial while you're at school. You have age group stuff. So when you're in high school, you have provincial under 15, under 17 and under 19. So, yeah, it's every second year pretty much, but you can play up. You sort of always strive into that. And then after that, when you finish school, is generally when people get picked up into professional squads, which is not very often that people get picked up straight out of school in South Africa. Um, and I think that's largely because there's there's no real feeder system. Like I know here you've got sort of WA19s that guys then feed through where there isn't really any of that in South Africa. So... Yeah, very different to Australia, New Zealand and, and England in that part. But school cricket and provincial cricket is pretty strong. How does that impact the talent available? If there's a gap between school and then that next level, do a lot of players drift off? What happens? Massively. And that's quite that's the sad part at, at this point in time with South African cricket, I would say, is uh, you get so many people who fall away because of what the system's like. And I'm good friends with him, so he wouldn't mind me telling the story. But so John Turner, as an example, who's just been called up to the England squad for the T20s, he did not make a provincial team in South Africa until his final year of school at under-19s. And now he's 22 playing for England. Wow. Yeah, because when you think through the years, you think of players like Kevin Peterson, Jonathan Trott, Andrew Strauss to an effect as well, all going off and playing big games and big time for England, where you wonder how that's happened, and that basically explains what's Absolutely. happened. It's quite frustrating, to be honest, because, I mean, you'd look back in sort of now and in years to come, and you think, oh, it didn't really mean anything back then. But, you know, when you're a 15-year-old kid and, you know, you're up for selection for your province or for whatever, it can be really tough not being picked at those times because, you know, when you're at that age, it can seem like the biggest thing in the world. Um, and, and some people... Yeah, they get really upset with it, and they just think, "Well, what's the point?" So there's a, there's a lot of good cricketers that have unfortunately been lost through the system due due to that. You mentioned that there are guys that go and play for England. Is that through nationality similar to you, or is that through them moving there and then getting residency? A bit of both. I think a lot of people now in South Africa who do have sort of citizenship, like I do, are going over because it's just a much better opportunity. But there's also quite a few guys who perhaps have ancestral visas or are just trying to get any plan to sort of get over there and do something. So it's a bit of a mix, but people who generally have the passports go. 
Yeah, and you're starting to see that through other countries like New Zealand, where how you guys let go of Devin well, Conway and Neil Wagner. Exactly. And that's that's just one thing boggles the mind. They're super talented, honorary New Zealanders with awesome. Yeah, accents. absolutely. Uh, I mean, and that's that's the sad part <laughs> is I mean, someone like Devin Conway, who since he's come onto the international scene, has really shot the lights out. And if he'd stayed in South Africa, there's probably more chance that he wouldn't have ever played international cricket. And it makes you wonder how many are floating around like that out exactly. there. My, my next question I had for you, because this is one that I always run through my head when thinking about talented cricketers. Who's the most talented cricketer that's never gone on? Most talented cricketer that that's never gone on? Oof, that's a good question. I would say, because there's some guys who are still pushing for it and, and potentially have a good chance of, of getting to there. I would say a guy who was actually one year younger than me guy by the name of Nick Hatton. He was at school with me. He's now playing rugby for the Sharks. Very good rugby player as well, but an extremely talented cricket player. He scored hundreds for fun and simply because of sort of selection dilemmas and, and things like that, he just thought he'd prefer to go down the rugby route. And I think if if he'd stayed with cricket, he, um, he would have been right up there. So who's the fastest bowler that you've faced? In schools. In schools. Um, in schools, head and shoulders above the rest, Gerald Goodseer, who's currently playing for the Proteus. He was um, the scariest bowler I ever faced. I faced him as a 16-year-old in a T20. I've just got a new bat, actually, at the time, and it was slightly heavier than the one I was using before. I very quickly put the new bat back in the bag, took out the lighter one, and went out to face him. And he's about, I don't know, six foot three, maybe, runs in from what looks like about 100 meters and you just think he's coming to take your head right off. And that was uh, that was pretty scary. But there was also another guy by the name of Leifa Ntanzi who's at the Dolphins. And um, on his day, he's probably about 145 Ks now if he really gets there, which was also pretty intense. Yeah, he was quick. He, he bowled the quickest spell I've yeah, ever seen still. Yeah, and it's different facing it on a ball machine from real life, oh, isn't yeah. it? Like you face on a ball machine, you can get into a pattern because you know when it's yeah. coming. But when someone's coming at you like oh, yeah. that, there's nothing no, like it. No, yeah. not at all. And that's where, uh, you know, people often forget sort of how tough physically cricket can be because you, at the end of the day, you're trying to score runs and that's the object of the game. But you're also thinking, I've got this guy who's running in bowling rockets who's actually trying to take my head off. And I'm trying to score runs, but I'm also trying to stay upright and not be on the ground. So, yeah, it's a completely different thing from the ball machine where you know exactly where it's going to land. The next question there that I have, do you have a favourite ground that you've played at? Best ground I've ever played at is the Oval in England. Awesome. It's just incredible. I, I I still think it's probably the best ground to watch cricket at. I've been fortunate enough to watch there in, in some pretty cool rooms and places in, in the ground. But uh, yeah, I played a T20 there once and uh, it was just awesome. Absolutely awesome. Now, I have to ask one question here. Did you take the shoes off and walk on the grass? Did I take my shoes off? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, it's just something. I didn't take my shoes off. I've actually <laughs> never heard that. I didn't know that was a rule. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, I, was, maybe I was supposed to do that. But uh, no, I had my shoes on. I had my shoes on. Good, man. That's just something that I've always done is I've taken the shoes off and walked on the grounds when I've gone onto them. <laughs> no, I had my shoes on. I definitely had them on. I think this is a good opportunity now to move on to the next part, which is your playing cricket in England. So do you want to tell us how you ended up playing cricket in England? 
Yeah, so my dad moved over to back to England in 2016. That was the beginning of my grade eight year, my first year in high school. And then my brother moved over at the beginning of 2019. And so I was always looking to go over uh, when I finished just because of the way South African cricket was going. And I was 16 years old. I had just finished my first uh, Cubs week, which is sort of the under-19 provincial thing and they select the SA South Africa and a 19 team after that there was a tour to India I just I missed out on the tour to India and then after the tour to India there was a provisional squad for the 2020 World Cup um, so I was selected in the South Africa and a 19 squad for that along with a friend of mine Michael Booth who is in England now at Warwickshire as time went on got closer to the World Cup and both of us were dropped just prior to the World Cup which was uh, pretty painful and uh at first, we were dropped with no explanation whatsoever. So you can imagine that was pretty tough to take at the time. So that was sort of one nail in the coffin where I was like, sort of, I'm off, I'm on my way. And then I got to the end of my school career, played in my last Cubs week. They were selecting the South African 19 team after that. I finished the week as I won the award of bowler of the, of the tournament, bowler of the week, most wickets uh, uh, at the best uh, and the best economy rate, and um, still didn't get selected for the South African 19 team. And they just said to me, "If you're on your way to England, just go." So <laughs> I said, "All right, I'm, I'm on. Oh, I'm on wow. my way." Oh, horrible. Yeah. So it was tough to take at the time, but it was kind of like I, I knew I was going to England anyway. But I, I had a small sort of hope in my heart that they would kind of be like, select me and be like, "Oh." want me to stay in something and they just said no off you go so i said all right oh uh, yeah. mate, sorry that happened yeah no oh, it's yeah. uh That's... It, it, yeah it's always uh the the first one was a bit more difficult to take because i was still in south africa at school you know it was felt like a bit bigger so it was a bit more difficult and then the the second one i was already like so i was you know i was going to leave in a couple of weeks for england so kind of regardless so it, it didn't really do too much then but it was kind of just a bit like the straw that really broke the camel's back you know in that way and then uh yeah i was i was over to england in the thick of covid and that's one thing about high performance sport right to to improve and when you do have setbacks and failures you need to know where you've got to improve uh, absolutely right? and and hearing there that you didn't get that opportunity that to you know, say, look, this is what you need to do to hit that next level. Um, that was one question I had for you, Colby, as well. What do you bowl? Uh, I'm a leg spinner. I'm a, a right-arm leg spinner. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm an all-rounder. So, yeah, right-arm leg spinner and a journey bat sort of in the middle order between sort of oh, three to six around that area. So, Oh, the Aussies are going to love you. <laughs> so, like... What got you into leg spin? Because it's not something there that you just pick up. No. It's something there that ta- it takes time, patience, a lot of skill, and especially a lot of skill to do it at a high level and compete. So what got you started? Funny enough, I was actually just down at the cricket nets uh, when I was younger with my brother and my dad just doing the usual afternoon net session where my dad would be throwing balls and whatever. And I just started like bowling it, sort of messing around and it was coming out fairly decently. And then my dad just said to me at that time, like, I think this is something you should really go for because it, not many people do it and it can, it's different to everyone else. Um, I did, I remember I was eight when I started doing it and everyone was just focused on sort of trying to be the fastest bowler around. And my dad was like, I think you should really stick with this and uh, sort of 
make yourself a bit different from everyone else and from then on he just really helped me we just worked on it together and it was I sort of had the fundamentals of it like I could bowl it and it was more about sort of just putting hours and hours into it and uh I've never really looked back since wow that that's cool mate because I'm, I'm I'm like an Andrew Simons type so I'm like a you know running off off six paces and but I'll, I'll spin as well okay. when I have to because I get lazy <laughs> and I bat as well and knowing like how how long it takes to get the leg spin have you had any shoulder problems or anything like that over the uh, years I haven't or? had any shoulder problems although funny enough I'm actually slightly injured at the moment I've got a, like a pull or strained left pec muscle if, uh, as such not nothing too serious but uh, I've never had sort of any issues in terms of shoulder injuries or anything like that struggled a little bit with my left elbow at one point but that was just from batting but uh, nothing nothing that's come from cricket sort of any major injuries I'll say touch wood and hopefully that stays but uh, <laughs> yeah right that keep stretching that's my advice oh, yeah, to you <laughs> absolutely uh, trying to trying to focus massively on on the warm up and the warm downs these days so when you were in England who did you play cricket for I moved when I moved over. I was playing for Surrey, Surrey second team, doing a f- few training sessions here and there with the first team, um, and sort of getting involved. But it was quite difficult during COVID because there was constant COVID tests, there was bubbles, there was someone catches COVID, all of a sudden this is cancelled and you can't and this can't happen. So that was difficult. But I I always had the link with Surrey because when I was still in school in South Africa and I was preparing to go to England, I would go over in the South African winter holidays, my school holidays, I'd go over for about six weeks. And uh, I'd play for Surrey second team at the time. And so there was always the link that I was going to go. And then they uh, brought the idea up of uh, bringing me over to finish school there and being in the academy. And I only had two years left of school at, at, at Hilton, and I was loving it. And I just opted against it, because it was such a big change for sort of the age I was at and, and how many years of school I had left. But in, in hindsight for cricket, it probably would have been better if I had done that. But uh, I, I don't have any regrets because, as I said earlier, it was the uh, best five years I've ever had at Hilton's. Awesome, mate. You're living the dream, honestly. Like, um, So like when you are in the academy, how many hours of practice are you putting? So, well, I never went into the Surrey Academy. I just came over, obviously, year four, um, the winter holidays in South Africa and was playing with the second team. And But when I came over, I was trying to get in as much cricket as I possibly could with Surrey. So it was pretty much every day, if I'm not playing, if I'm not playing, I'm training and basically just trying to sort of get into their system and or just get my name out there in Surrey and in England. So eventually when I did go over, it wouldn't be like I'm starting from square one. And that's paid? Uh, not then, it wasn't. Not then, I was just young and sort of essentially they were doing me a favor by allowing me to play um because I had no real you know affiliation whatsoever to Surrey it was kind of like there's this kid who's from South Africa he's got a British passport and he's decent so we can let him play so that wasn't but uh, now when I when you play second team cricket back home in, in England it's it's all paid you have to pay trialists it's uh it's illegal not to I believe interesting it is yeah well there you go so yeah it's, it's all paid work when you when you play second team now back home and it's actually it's decent so because obviously that you know you it's very time consuming and if you're really trying to push for it you you need to give it all your time so um yeah it's a lot of time and effort so i suppose that just helps out and do you find there's a big 
difference in professionalism between playing a high level of cricket in South Africa to coming over to a high level in England? How do you find the professional setting out there? I did find England slightly more professional. I wouldn't. I don't want to say like sort of say that in too much because I, I wasn't. I never was involved really with a full professional system in South Africa. Uh, I did sort of bits and bobs, but everything that I've seen in England, as well as here in WA in Australia, has been uh, slightly more professional. Just you know, from what you're eating to how you're training and and all the timings and everything, it, it was uh, yeah pretty professional. But I, I yeah, my school in South Africa, everything was extremely professional because of our coach he obviously played at a very high standard so everything was all about punctuality respect all of that kind of stuff so it was nothing I wasn't used to because yeah we had a a strict school and uh everything was uh how well you behave and your manners and things like that so so I've got some diehard cricket questions here for (laughs) you Colby and and you'll you'll enjoy these so in South Africa what type of ball do you use we use a kookaburra yeah. Excellent. Always wanted to know yeah, that one. Kookaburra. Um, and now, do you find do you find a big difference between using the kookaburra and the dukes yes, in England? Yes, I do. I much prefer the kookaburra personally. I feel like it just fits in my hand a bit nicer, and I I just feel, you know, I don't know if I'm the only spinner that feels that way, but I don't think so. The duke is really designed for seam bowlers, in in my opinion. It's a lot harder, massive seam, swings for longer. I think that's sort of what it's designed for. So I just I prefer the cook, but I just feel like it fits a bit nicer in my hand. So. And do you find you were used earlier in the innings in Australia and later in the innings in England? Because Absolutely. Of that? Definitely used earlier in South Africa and Australia. Often back home, I'd even bowl in the power play sometimes. Even here, I've been asked to bowl in the power play or, or just after it. Whereas England, I'm generally looking at sort of, if it's a, a red ball game, I'm looking at sort of, 30 40 overs onwards and even a white ball game sometimes only from the 20th onwards so definitely a bit later on so yeah i, I just prefer the kookaburra and do you find the the white ball is harder or less difficult to spin i don't i white ball i generally spin it probably slightly less just because i'm bowling a bit quicker and that's just sort of the way I, I try vary it in the white ball cricket by trying to keep myself in the game. So whereas red ball, obviously, uh, you know, it gets later on in the day or later on in the match and the pitch sort of wears out a bit and it turns a bit more. So I probably get a little bit less turn with the white ball, but I suppose a lot of it is pitch dependent as well. Yeah, that was leading into my next question about the pitches. So the difference between the South African and the English pitches and Australian I was I, yeah, I was actually talking to my uncle about this because he was asking me how's it all going here and uh, it's I'd say South Africa and Australia are quite similar back home in South Africa much like you know, pitches are harder sort of quite true if someone wants to run in and bowl short like you know it's going to get through and you can trust yourself to play a pool shot whereas England is difficult in its own way because obviously the weather's generally worse you know it's a bit more overcast and raining or whatever the ball's different so the pitches are often a bit softer they nip around a bit more so it's not always quite as easy to walk in and just sort of play your shots from ball one you really need to sort of focus your first 10 20 balls to give yourself the best opportunity to get in and score runs whereas here you can kind of trust it a bit more that 
pitch is hard. It's a good wicket. I can walk in and, you know, play shots. So, like, from gr- growing up and playing in those South African pitches, you'd obviously used to the old pull shot. And the bit yeah, of abso- absolutely. Okay. Uh, bowlers in South Africa, they certainly run in and uh, they, they try to let you know that they're there. Um, they'll have a go at the short ball. So, yeah, I, I, I generally would say the pull shots is probably one of my stronger shots. But uh, when someone's bowling, you know, some, some good pace, no one really enjoys it. So I'll try to get out of the way then. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll go to the, the advice side, Colby, because that, that's one thing there. I know with a lot of young cricketers out there that'll be listening, um, I know there's no given pathway, but what would you recommend for a young cricketer out there that's you know, working on their batting, working on their bowling? What would you say to them in terms of getting to stick with the game? Just find, hold on to that the feeling of, enjoyment when you play the game i think the most important part is you played because you enjoy it so you got to hold on to or find that keep finding those reasons why you enjoy it why you get up to go do what you do you know why why do i wake up in the morning to go to the nets or why am i putting hours into this and it's because of that feeling of fulfillment or enjoyment and as the longer you can hold on to that and and keep finding your why as to why you're doing this then uh, you'll be on the right path and you can only go upwards. And there's some long, hot days oh, ahead, yeah. isn't there? There's, there's always going to be some long, hot, dry days in the dirt. But um, it's uh, everything. It, it all moves in a circle, so it, it swings in roundabouts and uh, the good times will roll back on. Well, the next question that leads me to there is, uh, are you sponsored? Uh, I'm not at the moment. I was. I was sponsored by a brand called Hell for Leather, in 2021 and i was let go due to COVID. now i just uh i use gray nickels uh, my director of cricket back home at my club he's very close with the guy at gray nickels so i get the odd thing for free and uh yeah other stuff discounted and uh, i'm pretty happy using that gear at the moment it's been pretty good to me so awesome what bet are you rocking at the I'm moment i'm currently using the gray nickels vapor which i've had for a year and a half now Probably I've got a new one. I've got a new Hypernova in my bag, but I'm I'm pretty attached to the vapor, <laughs> so I might use that until it literally snaps in half. Yeah, and and what sort of weight are you using? Uh, on that, that one's about two eight, and the new Hypernova I've got is two nine, slightly heavier. But uh, if I can be between sort of yeah two seven to two nine, then uh, that's generally where I'm happy. Yeah, that's a, that's a decent size. You get get the ball. Uh... Again, smashing it for sucks <laughs> out of the ground, no trouble. Certainly with that. try, try hit a few every now and again. And do you use a lower middle or do you use a higher middle on the back um, when you get these? This one is pretty much dead center in the vapor. I really like the shape in it. Um, and the brand new Hypernova is a little bit lower. So it's a yeah, bit of a thicker handle as well. So it t- takes a bit of getting used to. I'll, I'll get there, I'll get to it slowly, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty happy with where the vapor is at the moment. Oh, that's that's cool, man. I like good bat yarns. I used to have about, oh, I think about four or five at a, at a time, and I'd just rotate them. Oh yeah, back in the oh, day. I, I, um, I wish it would go, yeah. going into a, a bat factory now is like, you know, Christmas. You could spend about three hours in there, to be honest, just picking up each and every one. So yeah, no, uh, but yeah, pretty attached to the vapor at the moment. And you do then the Rebel Sports stores. That was my my next question for you. Pick up a bat and you know. 
bit of, bit of shadow play. I tell you with what, it. I haven't been into a sports store with loads of bats in it for ages, to be honest. I haven't. But um, oh, when I was younger, absolutely, absolutely, used to walk into the shop straight to the cricket section and just see what the new bats were there and uh, pick it up, feel this one, and then you look at Dad and go, Dad, this one feels quite nice. You know, hinting at, I would like this, and he goes, I'm sure it does. <laughs> as every parent says yeah I'm sure it does yeah. so yeah and now you see how much they cost e- and you're exactly. going okay no wonder mum and dad couldn't exactly so oh yeah but uh, yeah love going into the store every now and again and picking up a couple hundred bats I have yeah. a question for you Sunday morning 3am WA time the yeah. All Blacks are playing the Springboks in your opinion who is going to win I'm always going to say South Africa I don't I'm not going into it saying South Africa's going to win that's it because I think I don't think there could be a better final to be honest it's the two greatest rugby nations in the history of the game both on three world cups what could be better but I'm always going to say South Africa I think I think the whole nation is just so attached to this team and and what they stand for because I mean I'm sure you've heard many interviews but they just kind of, they just represent sort of what the country's about, the diversity, the, like the fact that, I mean, a lot of people would have thought that both in the quarterfinal and the semifinal that they were probably dead and buried at, at one point and they just somehow find a way to win. I'd say my only worry for the weekend is we've had two really difficult games, the quarterfinal and the semifinal, so no idea where the guys are at physically and, and, and mentally, but I suppose when it's a World Cup final, if, if you can't get up for that, then you, you're not going to get up for much, are you? Yeah, and you want to, you're right there, you want to beat the best, Absolutely. right? And that's that's the thing there, like, as New Zealand fans, we're, we're bloody nervous, and it's great to hear that South Africa's nervous too. I mean, I, went, I actually... What more could we yeah, want? Yeah, exactly. So I was in the... Two weeks before I came to Australia, I was in Paris um, for Springbok versus Ireland uh, at Stade de France, which was obviously an incredible game. We we came out on the losing side. We didn't kick very well that day, which may have made it different. And we were saying, like, after the game, we're like, you know what, this is probably not the end of the world. At that point in time, we thought that France wouldn't have Antoine Dupont in the quarterfinals. And I remember saying to my dad and friends and everything, I was like, I'd rather play France without Dupont and play the All Blacks. And that's what we were all saying because it's like the team that just knows how to beat South Africa the most is the All Blacks and probably the same the well, other way around. Say, yes. The other way around yes. as well. We were saying this we were saying the exact same thing about Ireland. We're like, thank goodness we're playing Ireland instead of South yeah. Africa. And and that's exactly what it was. We're just like the team that knows how to beat South Africa the best and historically have done it the most is the All Blacks. And obviously it's the same the other way around as well. So yeah, no, it was just one of those things where, like, we not the end of the world. Ireland can happily – they can take their results. Obviously, you want to win every game no matter what, but we're like, you know what, it's it's not a bad thing now that we're playing France. You couldn't write a better script, could you? The two, As you said, the two greatest rugby nations in the world, both with three World Cup titles each, meeting to really decide who is the number one rugby nation in the world. Yeah, it's it's just – incredible really i think what the two nations have done and i was i anyone i was saying from the beginning of the world cup people were saying who do you think is going to win you know that and i just said straight up the whole time south africa or new zealand and people were like oh new zealand aren't playing well this and i'm like when you get to these tournaments and you get to the knockout stages and whatever experience counts for so much when you've got guys in the team who know how to win who know how to win in these big games 
that's sort of what matters. And that's why I look at South Africa now, because the Springboks, ultimately, we were down against France. We were down against England. For majority of the game, people would say you were dominated for 65 minutes, which is probably sort of a fair assumption. But a rugby game is not 65 minutes, it's 80 minutes. And the Springbok team knows how to win over 80 minutes. That's right. It's a numbers at the 80th minute mark, not at the 75 minute mark. Absolutely. And historically as well, that's what the All Blacks have been so good at. The last 10 minutes, they just come and they can score two or three tries and just completely take out the game. And and that's the thing. A lot of people will say, oh, South Africa didn't deserve to win the semi-final. They weren't the better team. And I'm like, well, they were because it's an 80-minute game. It's not a 65-minute game. It doesn't matter that England were better for 68 minutes or whatever it was. South Africa won and they won at 80 minutes. And no one remembers who loses a no, semi-final. No, either. not at all. And uh, I, I, truthfully, though, I was, <laughs> I really thought with 20 minutes to go in that semi-final, I thought we were done. I thought I was looking at England and England were winning penalties and they were getting fired up and South Africa just looked tired. And I was uh, thinking, oh, God, this doesn't look good. And, um, yeah, they just dig deep. And it was obviously the bomb squad that, that came on and, and made the difference yet again. James, your prediction I think this will be the greatest World Cup final that we've ever watched. Okay. So so I'm going to make that first comment. I think it's going to go to extra time, and I'm hoping New Zealand <laughs> drop goal just for... Just for 95 uh, sake. 95. <laughs> just, for, just for 95. 95 sake. That's a... Uh... <laughs> That's payback. That is, we've still got the receipts on that one, and we've still got the receipts on Twickenham, yeah. and we're bringing them to the game right. to give them back to you. James, I, I, I was I was telling Craig earlier. I was at the Twickenham game just before the World Cup. I was sitting bang on the halfway line, and uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty special occasion. So it's so tough to call, honestly. Even like if you're a neutral, or whatever. I'm obviously always going to say South Africa, and I just you know to your point where you say you, you think it'll be the greatest rugby World Cup final of all time. I think whoever wins this World Cup can probably hold their hand up and say they've won the toughest World Cup in history. Yes. I think just the the standard of yeah. rugby throughout, like the quarterfinal between South Africa and France and, and Ireland and the All Blacks, we've never seen anything like it, really, have we? I mean, quarterfinals being played at that standard. So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be an absolute spectacle. I'm jealous. My brother and my dad are going to Paris tomorrow back home. They've, they're going to Paris tomorrow. They'll Mate. be there for the game. So I'm quite jealous. But... uh I think, um, yeah, I, I don't see more than, I don't see it being won by more than five points. And uh, I, I'm going to say South Africa. Nice, mate. I, I like it. Craig, what about you, mate? What do you think? I'm going All Blacks. And, you know, like I can, sometimes I can pick the All Blacks not to win, which I've been doing a fair bit during this tournament. So you have your heart in your head, but I'm going All Blacks for this one. And the reason why I think South Africa are getting tighter. Yeah. For them to win, they would have had to beat every top tier six, rugby nation. Top six nation we've played. That's it, other than themselves. Yeah. They can't play themselves. And that's a big ask. It's a long tournament. And I think they are looking tired. Like you, I thought they were done and dusted against yeah. England. But I think we've got a monkey on our back from 95. We've got a monkey on our back from Twickenham. And we've also got the Ian Foster almost given the boot. You know, so yeah. he's had a lot to play for. I'm just think heading into it on the trajectories we're on, we are looking better, but the weather for Paris on that day is not going to be a bright sunny day that's no, going to suit running rugby. It's overcast with a bit of drizzle. So it's going to, it's, it's everything you've said, the best game in history and the hardest World Cup, but I'm still thinking the All Blacks are on the better trajectory. Yeah, I mean, 
you, you say that in a good way. And I look at the All Blacks from an outside perspective. And this All Black team has probably had to deal with sort of more, oh, what's the word? Adversity? Uh, more adversity than any other. You know, people had written them off after that Twickenham game before the World Cup. Ian Foster was on the verge of losing oh. his job. You know, this All Black team has had to deal with so much. They've had players in and out, Barrett to fullback, Moang at fly off, in and out. And they've obviously done exceptionally well. I think the rain might play a big factor. And uh, I think from a South African perspective, like if you want to beat the Springboks, at some point in the game or for the majority of the game, you have to match them physically um, if you want to beat them. If you don't do that, they'll run over you ultimately. So I think that's the big ask. But whether South Africa can get to where they need to be physically after the past couple of weeks is, is the big question. I've got faith in them. So there's some big characters in the dressing room. Good man, good man. And the only thing that could be better than um, this game is when they make a movie about it afterwards and this time we get Matt Damon to play Sam Kane. <laughs> and then Matt Damon will oh, have two World, Cup, World Cups, which will be more than any Northern Hemisphere team. Very true. Just a question. Have either of you uh, watched the documentary of South Africa when they won the World Cup in 2019? It's called Chasing the Sun. No, I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, maybe put that in the diary to to give that a watch. Chasing the Sun, exceptional. It gives sort of just a great background as to sort of that team and where they all come from and and what it meant and what it meant and and why it was such an amazing task for them to win that Rugby World Cup. Because I mean, if you think this All Black team was written off, that Springbok team was beyond written off. What what they had to go through. So it's a, that's a great watch and uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. It's. Uh, you know, it's either going to be completely the happiest day of my life or totally the other way around. So, yeah. Well, I remember, I remember a, a, this is a, a yard. So I, I was 12 years old. I got up at 3 a.m. to watch that 1995 World Cup game. And I remember the whole week afterwards, I was distraught. It doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. So I take that into this yeah, game. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. I actually... <laughs> One of the nicest guys I've ever met, I met him when I was back in England doing uh, what I was doing, my job for the last year and a bit, is uh, Zinzan Brook. He was amazing, amazing to meet and, and speak to. And uh, he just said, after he, I remember him saying after that 95 World Cup, it didn't leave them for a long time, sort of everything. He said, obviously, it was amazing for South Africa. They could see what it did and, you know, Mandela and all of that. But he said the actual loss didn't, didn't leave them for a long time. Did he talk about food poisoning? He didn't talk about food poisoning. Yeah, he, he didn't bring that up. I mean, that's been brought up a few times, but hasn't it? He didn't bring that up. He just said uh, it was an, an amazing occasion. And obviously, unfortunately, they, they came out on the wrong side. But uh, it was a privilege to meet. Well, it took me over two decades to get over it. It just felt like you were robbed, which I think a lot of teams who are the favorites and expecting to win, which was seen with Ireland and, and um, France, you know, you're feeling like it's the ref or something else has gone on to make you lose because you were assured victory. It was yeah. written in the stars. Living here and engaging with South Africans and seeing what it did for the country, that helped me come to grips with it and think the greater good of what it did for the country yeah. is worthwhile, but we'll have this one. <laughs> I hope not. And, and and that's exactly what it is for South Africans. I mean, you probably wouldn't have seen too many videos, but there's people who walking kilometers and, and sitting in a mall to watch it on, on TV screens. And, and that's the type of enjoyment and, and joy or just joy that this team brings to the country. Um, it, it's an amazing thing that the Springboks do what they represent. I think the one thing people can certainly 
be sure about with South Africa this weekend as well as um with Rassi Rasmus and, and Jacques Nienaba in charges. Nobody actually knows what they're gonna do. This is true. They they've be- not even not Rafe. even he probably doesn't even know yet. They've become so unpredictable. No one knows what he's gonna do, whether he's gonna go seven one on the bench, five three, six two, but uh I've got no doubt it's going to be a spectacle, and I'm jealous I'm not there. Mate, it's been so good having you here today. Thank you Thank very you much for, for your time. Me. But we're definitely going to get you back if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we'll have Lucas on the next time as well. Yeah, we've got a few cricket games to discuss, <laughs> yeah. boys. And also one, the outcome of one Rugby World Cup final as well. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, I might, hopefully I'll want to come back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it, it'll be awesome. Me and Craig might be um, crying, so it'll be you talking. Yeah, and I might be as well. So I might be you two, listening to you two talk. So, no, but thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Awesome, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Please make sure to follow us on all good podcast streaming platforms. We are now across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Also remember to follow us on Instagram, where's underscore my underscore sports underscore at, and follow us on Facebook as well. Have a laugh with us. Please make sure to like, comment and subscribe. We welcome your comments and feedback. Thank you.